I haven't heard that before. So let me ask you a question. Uh, Thank you for coming to church tonight, by the way. After yesterday morning and this morning, I didn't know if we'd have anybody here, so glad you're here. Will you go? There's a lot of people in the world that have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people have never heard of Jesus, and we have to go tell them. They're not going to get it any other way. There's no doubt there's many people in Australia that need the gospel, but the access to the gospel is here. Is there a need for churches in Australia? Absolutely. I thank God that He is the Lord of the harvest, and I'm not. He knows where to send His laborers, and laborers are needed. But they're needed everywhere. They're needed everywhere. No doubt there'd be a man here that would be willing to give his life and lay aside all of his dreams and go somewhere, embrace a culture he doesn't know and understand, learn a language he can't initially comprehend, and have a heart, have a heart to reach people with the gospel. It has driven the church for 2,000 years. And may it not falter in our generation. Will you go? It's a confronting song if you listened. Well, Acts chapter 11 is where we're at in our Bible here tonight. And I thought that the Lord would have us to um, just study a little bit in the Word of God. And so we're going to flip through and, and look at a number of different places here this evening. Uh, as always, it is, uh, it is like coming home to be here. And so... We sure appreciate your kindness, and it's, uh, it's good to be back with you uh, today. Um, <clears throat> what, what makes a church differ from another? I wonder if you've thought about that as we think our way around the churches of Sydney. This is our city. There are a number of churches here. Some churches are not quite like we are in their practice or in their doctrine or version of the Bible that they use and the songs that they sing. So there's, there's certainly differences. What, what makes a church different than another church? I'm, I'm oftentimes reminded of where Heidi and I met and when we were first married in the church that I had spent a few years in before we, before we got together years ago. And I think about that little country church. Some of you have been to that little country church. If you were to go there today, what you'd find is that there's very little different than there was 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, you have to drive 20 miles outside of town to get to this church. And it's not on any normal road. Uh, you to drive all the way out and then you turn left in the middle of nowhere and you drive for another couple kilometers and then you turn right in the middle of nowhere and you go down a couple of kilometers and in the middle of an orchard, an apple orchard, and across the road from an asparagus field, there sits a little country church. It's had a number of pastors over its history of, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. It's had several pastors. One or two have moved on. One or two have died. And some have gone off into other ministries. But from that little church, dozens of men and women are scattered around the world on the mission field. 
Uh, you could go not far from there and find other churches that are significantly bigger in the middle of towns and busy, busy areas. And there's a lot happening in the churches. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of music. And you fill in the blank. But through the history of many of these churches, there's never been anybody that has gone to the mission field. The, the program of the church seems to be very similar. The, all the things are there, the trappings of the church, but it seems to be very different than this little country church that we came from. So I ask you, what makes one church different than another? It's an interesting question. I think it needs to be addressed. As I was praying about our time together here tonight, the Lord kept drawing me back to Acts 11 and some other places in the book of Acts and really drawing me back to Antioch. And what I want to talk to you about here this evening in, by way of a Bible study is fostering a missionary culture in the church, what that looks like. And so uh, let's look together at this passage. Now, we read it a moment ago. We didn't read verse number 19 of chapter number 11, but I do want to draw your attention there because it shows something that I mentioned to you this morning. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, remember now he had been killed. They traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And then it goes on to, the, to say that, that some of them were Cyprus of Cyprus and Cyrene, and they came to Antioch and they were preaching, and you see... Uh, what took place there. And I think there are some things that we need to consider as a church. And so I want to ask you to consider these things with me. And I want to ask you this question. Would you be willing, would you be willing to, to foster a culture in the church that lends itself to production of missionaries? I think that a church that will not support and send missionaries has forfeited its right to exist. We have, we have a responsibility that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And our responsibility is not first and foremost to gather and, and enjoy ourselves. I thank, the fact, I thank the Lord that we can enjoy ourselves. You don't want to be miserable when you go to church, right? And so it's good to be together. And fellowship is a part of the church. Um, edification and, and exhortation, uh, that's a part of the church. Um, our music is a part of the church, and our music is not for us, it's for him. And so the reverence and holiness of what we sing is meant to be something that is well-pleasing to the Lord. So music is a, a part of the church. But I would say to you that the predominant thing that the church is meant to be known for is what we do with regards to world evangelization, fostering a missionary culture in the church. And so I think we can learn from Antioch how to do that. And so let's look at some things together. I want you to notice here in, um, in the end of the passage that we had read earlier, it, you'll notice that uh, there were many people that had gotten saved and, and Barnabas had been sent to the, to the church. The disciples had heard that something was going on in Antioch. Now answer this for me. Uh, was Antioch a part of the nation of Israel? Yes or no? It was not. This was a Gentile city. Right. Now the Jews were forbidden in the Old Covenant. They were forbidden to go out into the, to the Gentiles. There was a separation that had to be there, but what Jesus Christ did was he broke down that separation and his desire was to make of two people uh, one body. And so he was going to bridge the gap between Jew and Gentile and the gospel was for the whole world. And so as we looked at this morning, because the, the Jews weren't doing what they should have done, then there was a persecution that arose and they scattered abroad and thank the Lord they were preaching the gospel. Now, they still had an issue because we read it here. They were preaching to none but to the Jews. But the Lord was very soon to fix that. 
And so what we're learning here now, if you'll look at it, Barnabas came in, he was sent there to have a look at it, and he saw this, something amazing is going on here. People are getting saved, there is a body of believers here, and there are Jew and there are Gentile, and as you look through uh, this chapter and a couple other chapters about Antioch, you'll find out there were Gentiles from Africa, there were Gentiles from other parts of Asia Minor, they were all together in this city of Antioch, and they had formed together a body, and there were some amazing things that were, that were happening in this church. And so Barnabas realized, oh, hang on, I know what I got to do. And so it says in verse number 25 that Barnabas, he departed um, to Tarsus for to seek Saul. He knew where he needed to go. This is the job for Saul. He went and got Saul, brings him back in verse 26, brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, Father, as we bow our heart uh, before you here this evening, Lord, I, I believe it is our desire as a church family that we do have the culture that produces missionaries here. Lord, a church can be known for many things, but uh, what we want to be known for, I think, as a body is that we are fulfilling what it is you've given us to do. And so, Lord, as we study Antioch tonight, help us to be mindful of who they were, what they did, and why your hand was upon them as a church. And Lord, I pray that we would just be instructed this evening and uh, help us to know what that is as we consider what it is to be a sending church. So, Lord, thank you that you, uh, you choose to use people. We know that we're dust, Lord. We know that we don't have anything to offer but ourselves. And so, Lord, in true humility, we, we bow before you this evening, and we just want to offer who and what we are. We, we are saved by your marvelous and amazing grace, as we heard a little while ago. And uh, we just want to give back to you because uh, you bought us with a price. Help us to glorify you. This evening, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to notice what they did when they got back. Uh, in verse number 26, he brings Paul back to Antioch, Saul. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together with the church, and notice this, and taught much people. Do you see that in your Bible? It says, and they taught much people. I don't want you to miss what God is saying here. I believe that the first thing that a church needs to have, if they're going to foster a missionary culture in the church, is strong biblical instruction in the church. Now, you know as well as I do that there was a great warning that God gave to the church in the end days. Here we are. Uh, in the last days, they shall heap to themselves teachers. What does it say? Having what? Itching ears. Uh, we live in a generation today where we want to look church and we want to, listen, no, no. We don't even want to look church anymore. We want to look like the world and go to a place that's called church, but that's all that we want. We want church our way, our style, our message, our method, and we want to feel good about our instruction. So they heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how good I am. Make it all positive. But the Bible is pretty negative. As we read through the Word of God, we see much negativity in the Bible. There's negativity there, brethren. Is there not? Listen, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. That's negative. God calls man for what man is. When you read through the Bible, you find out that God is telling his children there is bad behavior and there is good behavior. There's problems with the heart. There's a lot of negativity is what I'm saying. And that doesn't go well in our culture today. What do we need today? We need a church that produces missionaries, and that's only going to happen when there is strong, sound, biblical instruction in the church. If you want to stay in this place, 
and be an active producing member of this place. Be willing to come and be challenged in your faith. Be willing to become and to be challenged in your walk. Be willing to grow. Be willing to let the Lord Jesus Christ prune you and purge you so that you can bring forth what, brethren? More fruit. It's fruit and it's more fruit and it's much fruit. And all of that comes through purging. It's through, through pruning. It's cutting off the dead that hinders the growth and the fruit. That's the kind of church you need to have. So this church needs to be a church that has strong biblical instruction. And we need to be as focused on growing missionaries as we are on sending missionaries. In other words, we need to have the long look. Can I ask you, church, do you have the long look? The long look is looking at the kids. It's the, it's the first and second and fifth grade. It's the 8, 9, 10, 12-year-olds. And we're looking at 15 years down the road and saying, okay, we need to be equipping them so that in 15 and 20 years, they're on the field ready to serve Jesus Christ. That's the long look. I, I want to ask you, what, what do you want from the children that are here? They're your kids. What do you want from the kids that are here? Do you want to foster a culture where we, we produce nothing but business? Do you want to foster a culture where we produce nothing but money and professionals? There's nothing wrong with any of that. But is that the culture you want to foster in your kids? I quite often am reminded of something that you know, Brother Warren Bale, in business. But Warren has said for years, he tells his kids, you're not going to be in business, you're going to be in ministry. I don't want you doing what I'm doing. He always views that what he does is lesser than what we get to do. So he's been pushing his kids. No, no, it's not all about business. Forget business. Go serve Jesus with your life. I think that's just a great thing to do. At least that's a great mindset. And so what I'm saying is we need to understand that we need to focus on growing missionaries, which starts at a very young, young age. It's a long-term outlook that, that shapes what we do and where we're going. And listen, the only way to grow missionaries is, is to feed them a diet of strong biblical instruction. If you have children, can I encourage you in love? I, I, I'm not thinking of a single person, so let me just encourage you in this way. Bring your children into church. Teach them to sit and listen to the Word of God. Don't give them a coloring book and an iPad while the preaching of the Word of God is going on. It's not time to play Angry Birds on the phone while the preacher is giving the Word of God. We have to foster a culture with our children of understanding that the Word of God is valuable in their life. And if we bring our kids into the auditorium and let them play games, we're not teaching them that principle. It's just a babysitting tool. They don't need to come to church to be babysat. They need to come to church to learn how to listen to the Word of God. Am I wrong? Brothers, we need to foster that culture with our children. We need to have the long look with our kids. The long look with our kids. And I know that some children can be difficult and every child needs to be changed, or trained. I know, they need to be changed too, but they need, to be, they need to be trained. That was just the dad coming out in me right there, all right? But there's no substitute in our life. There is no substitute for the, the sound and deep teaching of the Word of God. Turn with me now. Keep your finger here, but turn with me to Hebrews and chapter 5. Let's see the mind of the Lord about this. Hebrews in chapter 5. We're going to study tonight, so we'll look at a lot of places in the Scriptures. Hebrews in chapter 5. And notice what the Bible says here, what God says about this matter. Hebrews in chapter 5. Drop down with me now to verse number 13. Hebrews 5 and verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised 
to discern both good and evil. It takes use. It takes us understanding and absorbing and applying and using the Scriptures to mature and grow. It's called strong meat. But we have churches today that are full of of milk-fed babies. And they know a whole lot about the grace of God and a whole lot about the love of God. And they know all the froth and bubble of Christianity, but they know very little of the depth of the Word of God. And, and that shallow preaching produces shallow Christians. It produces shallow churches. Churches like that die. There's nothing there. What do the people of God need? The Word of God. We need the Word of God. And if it comes, if it comes hard at us, well, let's just take it. If it comes a little softer at us on a Sunday, well, let's just take it. But we need what the Spirit of God wants to give us through His Word. And there's no substitute for sound doctrinal preaching of the Word of God. It is in short supply in our world today. Okay? So we're talking about fostering a culture of developing missionaries, a missionary culture in the church. Uh, This is why faithfulness, hear me now tonight, faithfulness to the local church is vital. It's vital. It's why we're not looking to give up services, find less times to come, and sit under the preaching of the Word of God. Can I remind you what the Bible says in this very book in Hebrews? Later on about the fact that he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but, but he said, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Brethren, it's not a time to shirk away. It's time to gather more. I know we got a lot of things we want to do, but we need to be in a place where we are fellowshipping together and under the preaching and teaching and encouragement and strength of the Word of God. It's not a time to back off. I've always wondered why it was that when Christians go through a hard time, it seems like the very first thing they do is withdraw from the assembly. We face some crisis in our life, some reversal in our life, some discouragement in our life, and the very thing that we need, we stop doing, and we pull away from the assembly. We are here together to encourage and exhort one another. That can't happen from a distance. That's why it's not a cyber church. It's a place where we can look each other in the eyeball and we can, we can measure each other and we can talk with each other. That This person is encouraged. This person is discouraged. Uh, so the Lord gave me something in my devotions this morning. Let me pass this on to this brother or sister because I can see they're struggling. You understand? That's the value of church. So we need to come together, not just for that, but brethren, we need to hear the Word of God. Value the Word of God. If you have an opportunity to go to a Bible Institute class, then you need to do it. If it's offered, you ought to try to be there. Well, why? Look, I know so much about the Bible. Do you? I'm just saying, you know, most of us, probably, I'm not presuming to know your life, but let me just make a blanket statement. You can throw rocks later, okay? Probably most of us are watching TV at night to some extent. So maybe we could sacrifice one of our five or six TV nights and come to church and sit together and let somebody instruct us in the doctrines of the Word of God. Why? Because here's what we're doing. We're fostering a culture in our church. Sound, deep, doctrinal instruction. I can't tell you how valuable that is and how rare that is. Acts chapter 13, flip back there with me. We're in chapter 11, but I just want you to notice what it says here. Sometimes we miss it when we read this chapter. Well, you just look at the very first verse. Turn with me now to Acts 13, and would you notice this? It says, now there were in the church, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Notice this, here it is. Certain prophets and teachers. And God names who they were. 
But can you see what he said? There were in the church prophets and teachers. What that tells me is they were valuing the instruction, the learning, the preaching of the word of God. It was there. Paul and Barnabas assembled themselves with the church and taught much people for a whole year. The church just valued that instruction. They wanted to hear what did God have to say. I just think there was something going on in Antioch, don't you? There was something going on here. There was a whole lot of people that had lives just like you and I. They had occupations just like you and I. They had responsibilities and families just like we do, and yet they found time and there was a hunger to gather together because we want to receive what God has to say. It wasn't about the man that was given the word. It was about the word itself. It wasn't the man that was preaching the word. It was what God had to say. They valued that. And this is the soil of the missionary heart. This right here is the soil of the heart of the missionary. It's where they see God's redemptive plan throughout the ages. It comes across when we study and preach the word of God. We see the redemptive plan of God, the scarlet thread that goes Genesis to Revelation all the way through the word of God. Our children need to see that. They need to hear it taught and preached. It's the redemption of God. It's the, the gracious, powerful, loving God that we serve. They need to know who he is. This is how we know. We know it through the word of God. That's why in, in the church, this part right here, listen, this part right here should not be minimized. This is the priority of the church. It's not the music. It's not entertainment. It's not the social program. It's the preaching of the word of God. This is the value. But listen, in our, in our churches today, this thing has taken a, a sidestep. And now no longer do you really find churches where the word of God is the, the, the foremost thing. It used to be back in the day, nothing competed with the pulpit. There was nothing on the platform that was in competition with this. And the spotlights and all of the light shone right on this spot. Why? Because this was the central focus of why we came. It was the man delivering the message of God. But today, it's not that way. I'm just saying we need to have sound biblical instruction. This needs to be brought forth in our teaching and in our preaching. And listen, we need to understand the grand eternal perspective of God. And if we will do our job in a church of preaching and giving sound biblical doctrine, I mean deep meat of the word stuff, we will lay out God's redemptive plan and God's eternal plan to our church family. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to change our perspective, and it's specifically going to change the perspective of the young people. And when they see the eternal perspective of God, they're not really going to be interested in pursuing the world because we have fostered a culture in the church through biblical preaching and teaching that's helped them to see God's perspective, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to say, I want to go serve God because that's what really matters. So if we're going to be a church that fosters a missionary culture, we've got to understand that. When you look at New Testament doctrine, we're in the book of Acts, but were you to read what Paul had to say here, uh, we, we find that the New Testament is, is really predominantly focused on dealing with the inner man. Have you read through Paul's epistles? So much of what Paul has to say here is, is really just practical stuff, isn't it? It's, it's live this way, think this way, act this way you know, interact with others this way. So much of that is dealing with the inner man. That's the, the focus of the New Testament. What are we trying to do? Hear me tonight. He's trying to conform us to the Im image of Christ. Is he not? Is that not a clear command of God that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ? We are. We are to be developed and changed 
from what we are so that we are more Christ-like as time goes by. We're conformed to the image of Christ. Now, here's the question. If God wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, his sole focus was what? The sole purpose of Jesus Christ was what, church? To seek and to save that which was lost. If, if the focus of the New Testament is that I would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and the image of Jesus Christ is that he came to seek and save that which was lost, then that tells me that the sole focus of my life as I'm studying the word of God ought to be to do what Jesus did and seek the lost. But if we're not teaching that, we're not going to grow missionaries. It's not going to happen. And just one generation is going to grow up, and another generation is going to come, there's not going to be any change in the church. So I'm just saying this is what we have to do to foster a missionary culture in the church. Our teaching and our preaching has to be geared to the maturity of the saints. That's number one, all right? Uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, as you know, this was, this was a letter that Paul wrote to, to the, uh, the brethren at, at Thessalonica. This is a very important book, and when somebody gets saved, this is one of the first books that we need to tell them to read. Um, it's one of the first books we need to tell them to read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God and the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he's going to say. Now, listen and think about this. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So Paul is saying, okay, listen, here we are. We're writing back to you. And he said in verse 2, we sure thank the Lord for you. And we pray all the time for you because we remember, verse 3, uh, how much you work because of your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the labor that you have for the Lord because of your love for him, the, the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that, uh, that you have hope in Christ and you're patient in your tribulation and yet you're steady and you're steadfast and you're working and you have faith in God. He says, we, we thank the Lord as we think about these things in your life, knowing, brethren, belo brethren beloved, verse 4, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, so when we came and we preached, it wasn't just words, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul said, we came and preached, and it was in the power of God. And you know, you know how we were, how we lived when we were there preaching, is what he's saying. And ye became, verse 6, followers of us and of the Lord. Now let me just stop right there. It's not wrong to follow a man, but you follow a man who's following Jesus. And if his conduct and his lifestyle does not match up to the word of God, you stop following that man. But you can follow the faith of other people. You can follow the pattern of life of other people. If they're good and they're godly and they're faithful, it's good to look at examples like that. So the Lord doesn't say don't do it. We're not idolaters. We're not man pleasers and man followers. But if they're following Christ, I can learn something from them. So Paul says, and you became followers of us. That was a good thing. But he said in verse 6, you receive the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, brethren, this isn't the message tonight, but can I just pause a minute and say this? There is something sweet and wonderful about affliction that comes from taking a stand for Jesus Christ 
And if you and I are in a position where we are persecuted and afflicted because we are standing for the Lord, you're going to watch something. It's a refining of your faith. It's a good thing. It's always a positive thing in the Word of God when that happens. It, it, it separates the mice from the men. That's what happens. If there was a persecution that came to this church, who would be here next Sunday? That's the question. But we need to understand that, that the affliction was not a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. Notice what it produced. Well, you look in your Bible, verse 7. So that ye were examples, examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Hey, there was just something that happened. They received the word of God. They loved what they heard. And then they worked and they labored in their service for God because of what they heard. Are you with me tonight? That's what they were working and laboring because they were listening to the preaching of the word of God and it was effectually working in them because they believed it. And then there was affliction that came because they were shining as lights in a dark city, a pagan idolatrous city, and they were getting persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And what was happening is they were becoming examples to everybody that heard about it. People were in the area and they were like, wow, you heard about the brethren over in Thessalonica? They're getting persecuted. They're getting in prison. Some of them are getting beat publicly and they're standing for Christ. They're not, they're not complaining. They are bold witnesses. It's amazing what God is doing over there. They were examples to the brethren. Notice the next verse. Verse 8. He says, for from you, from you persecuted believers, you faithful, laboring, working believers, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. And so Paul says, hey, we don't have to say anything. You guys, are you listening? He says to the church, you speak for yourself. But what was it that produced this in the life of the church? And what did this produce? Two questions. What produced this in the life of the church was faithful brethren who received the word of God. That produced it. Now listen, what did it produce in their life? Here's, here's what it was. A thriving local evangelism. Okay, look at it. Verse number seven. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, that was their local area. That would be like saying if that happened here in Seven Hills, you were examples to Balcom Hills and Castle Hill and Carlingford and you were examples. Everybody in the local area knew about you. They heard what was going on with you. And then he said, from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Now it just wasn't their example, brethren. It was what they were saying. They were testifying of the gospel. A, a thriving local evangelism. Okay, if you want to foster a missionary culture in the church, you as a church body, and let me get a little bit more specific, you as an individual of this church, every single one, you need to be an evangelist. You and I must be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Thriving local evangelism is one of the primary ways to foster a missionary culture. But if we're not reaching people here, why would our children grow up and want to reach people somewhere else if we haven't developed the culture here? Now, let me talk to you for just a minute about reaching people. There's a lot of ways to do it. Can I just say this? You've got to go where people are to reach them. So isolation is not a very good way to reach people. You're not going to be able to hide in a corner and reach the world. You're going to have to get out there and engage with people. Now, how do we engage with people? By far, the most effective way to engage with people is to engage with people that are in your circle. So have a look at your circle. 
your circle of friends and influence and family and workmates and schoolmates, you work through all of that. You have a circle. Why don't you go engage with them? Evangelize your circle. Don't worry about all the people you don't know. How about you just focus on the people God's already given you in front of you? That's a great way to reach people. You don't really have to break a whole lot of barriers down because there's already a relationship. You follow what I'm saying? So build on the relationship of people that you already know that are lost and start trying to reach them with the gospel. They received the word of God and from them sounded out the word of God. And I'm telling you that the, that the fire of your heart will die when you cease to be a witness for Jesus Christ. The fire will go out. And you don't want to be the kind of Christian that just shows up every Sunday to church and sits there and ho-hums their way through the day and goes home and does the same thing week in and week out. Why don't you put a fire back into your spiritual life and go reach somebody with the gospel? There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. I wonder what's wrong with our Christianity when we could be a member of a church for years and there's nobody sitting here next to us because of us. What's wrong? Can I ask you a question? I don't know the answer to it, but you know. Who's here because of you? Who have you reached and discipled and brought along in the faith who's now an active serving member of this church? If there's nobody here, go find somebody. But let's not say we were here for 20 years and there's nobody here because of us. I didn't ask who you encouraged. Thank the Lord for all those other things that we do. But brethren, we need to be reaching people which means that we need to evangelize. We need to share. We need to have a thriving local evangelism. Otherwise, we're not going to foster a culture of missionaries in our church. Can I ask you a question? Would God accuse you of being a Christian or just a moral person? Because a Christian was a Christ follower. We looked at Acts chapter 11 when we started. They were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, other believers didn't give them that title. It was the city that gave them that title. The title simply means a follower of Christ. There was something unique and different and compelling about this group of people. They were different, and they were different because of Jesus. So let me ask you the question. If God were to accuse you, could he accuse you of being a Christian, or are you just a moral person, and you follow the Ten Commandments? You live a good life. You don't do drugs, and don't smoke, and don't drink, and don't go to clubs. If your life is a laundry list of the don'ts that you don't do, maybe there's an issue. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ, which means we need to be doing what Jesus did. Hey, he went about doing good. There's no doubt about it. But the conduct of his life was to reach the lost. That was the purpose of the Son of God. Jesus said, for this reason was the Son of God manifested. That was the reason he came, all right? So indifference, I think, is killing the work of God. It's killing it. You know what happens? Gospel preaching without gospel practice, it produces heavy-hearted Christians that are completely unconcerned with their lost neighbors. Because we can get fat on the preaching of the word of God, but if we don't practice what we hear, we're falling right into the trap that James warned us about. Well, there we go. We are hearers of the word, but we're doing nothing with it. It's a bad place to be. So we're talking about fostering a missionary culture, and let's not be indifferent. The coldness of a church, by the way, is tied directly to our lack of evangelism. Please don't answer this except in your heart. I mean this, but I'm going to ask you, do you think the church is cold right now? I don't mean, thank the Lord for air conditioning. That's not what I'm talking about. Is the church cold? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1 for just a minute, if you would. 
There's just a great, a great sideline in John chapter 1. The showing of Jesus Christ, the beginning of his ministry, just before this marriage at Cana and the miracle of, the, of him turning the water into wine. Okay, right before that, John chapter 1, verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Look at verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Hey, listen, don't miss that. Did you hear that? Did you see what God wrote here? Andrew heard John speak, and he goes, Whoa, hang on, there's something about this guy. This is the Messiah. What did he do? He went and found Simon, his brother. He said, we found the Messiah. Come on, have a look. And he brought him to Jesus. John passed it on to Andrew. Andrew grabbed Simon. They went and found Jesus. You understand? There's a principle here. Turn with me to to verse number 43, the same chapter. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. And here's what he said. He said, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael. And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, What? Come and see. Come and see. Andrew finds Simon, says, Hey, listen, we found a Messiah. Come on. The next day, Philip goes and finds Nathanael and says, Hey, Nathanael, we found him. Nathanael says, Really? You talking about Nazareth? What did Philip say? Come and see. He brought him to Jesus. Hey, listen, who are you finding? Who are you finding tonight? Who's your one? Do you have a list? Do you have anybody you're praying for? Is there anybody on your radar as a child of God and you're saying, Lord, this person needs to get saved and I already have somewhat of a connection, somewhat of a relationship and I'm not just gonna wait for the opportunity. Holy Spirit of God, prepare the opportunity for me. I want to witness this person and share Christ with them. Who is your one tonight? Who is that person that you're seeking after? It's an amazing thing when somebody gives their heart to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. I sat with a guy just three or four days ago, uh, 22 years old, university student. His dad is a Bangladeshi uh, Muslim, and his mom is is a Brit. Uh, He's never been to church, knows nothing Nothing of the Bible, nothing of Jesus Christ. He's a clean slate. And I asked him, I said, has anybody ever opened the Bible and shown you from the Bible how your sins can be forgiven? He said, no. He said, but I'd like to know. Fantastic. So we sat down together and went through the gospel. Started in Genesis and talked about creation and who God is. We went through the whole story, went through the gospel. You know, at the very end of the, he was so excited, at the very end of it, he said, I want to get saved. So he bowed his head and in his own way, He just said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I want to be saved. Forgive me of my sins. Praise the Lord. Hey, we had a little conversation after that. As we were walking out from the place that we were, he was was this right here. He was excited. He was a little overwhelmed. He was talking about he he had so much to process. He was overwhelmed. And he he grabbed my hand. He said, thank you. Oh, thank you. He was so excited. He's been texting me the last couple of days. Thank you so much. He texted me after 1 o'clock in the morning. What kind of madman is awake at 1 o'clock in the morning? Thank you so much. I know it's a late text, but I'm so excited. Thank you for taking the time. I'm thinking to myself, thank you for giving me the opportunity. 
Here's what I'm saying. We need to have the one. Who is that one for you? Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's our job, to seek and to save. We can't be passive in the work of God, brethren. We have to have a thriving local evangelism if we're going to foster a missionary culture within the church. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts in chapter 14. It's nice not to get yelled at on a Sunday night, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 14. Verse number 21, speaking of Paul here, he just gets, uh, he just gets a whole bunch of rocks thrown at him in Lystra. He's pretty well dead, and God brings him back up. All right, that's just happened. And verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, and they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we through much tribulation, uh, much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after that, they passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they preached the word in Persia, they came down to Atalia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Okay, guys, here's what's happening. Paul and Barnabas are finishing their missionary journey. They've made the rounds. They're on their way back to Antioch that had sent them out. Okay, that's what's happening here. Look at verse 27. And when they were come, they're back in Antioch, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there it says, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Now, I don't want you to miss this. I believe you already know that there is a difference between a Christian and a disciple. Okay, a, a Christian is one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. But the disciple is the one who's continued in that faith. Every local church has a mixture of lost people, Christians, and disciples in it. And I'm going to ask you tonight to consider in your own heart, am I a follower that has continued with the doctrines and the practices of the Word of God? Am I a disciple? Or am I just glad I'm saved and I'm content with that? Continue in my Word, Jesus was saying. So here's the interesting thing. Paul and Barnabas come back from their missionary journey. It took two years. So in two years of their journeys, they come back from their missionary journey. They come back to the church. Listen, they assembled the church together. Picture with me if, if uh, Padding and Mariel came back. Uh, and then at the same time, Ricardo and Isabel came back. Soren flew back. And you have three missionaries sent by our church have come back. We want to report to you what God has done in, in the work in our countries. And we gathered the church together, and we're all together, and they rehearsed before the church what had taken place. That's what's going on here. And I want you to notice, because this is the, the critical part of, of fostering a missionary culture, how, the, how that the Lord, verse 27, had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. Here's the point I'm trying to make to you tonight. If we are going to foster a missionary culture in the church, there has to be a continuing discipleship in the church, okay? So when they left on their missionary journey and two years passed and they came back, the church was still full of disciples, followers of Christ that were continuing on. Can I ask you a very blunt question? That I, again, I don't want you to answer, but in your heart. If our missionaries come back to Southland to report on what God has done, 
Will they find a church or a church full of disciples? Do we have a continuing discipleship here? You have to answer that question for yourself. But if we're going to foster a culture of producing missionaries here, we have to continue on. There has to be a continuity of discipleship in the church. It has to be aggressive. Um, chapter 15 of, uh, of Acts, you're just right there. Will you drop down to verse number 35? Verse number 35. Again, they come back. They come back from Jerusalem here. And notice what it says in verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Years had gone by in ministry, and the church was still gathering together, and they were excited about Jesus Christ and the word of God. They gathered the church together, and they were teaching and preaching the word of God. Now, here's the thing. More often than not, in modern culture, we see a decline in the church. We see a decline. It's a decline of preaching. It's a decline of interest. People can't hardly sit still for 40 minutes. Uh, we'd have a lot of churches full of Eutychuses, if that's even a word. But a lot of us would be falling from windows on the second floor. Right? Because the frame's not refreshing every four seconds. We're not getting a new buzz, a new jolt. You understand what I'm saying? To sit and listen is very difficult in our generation. There's a decline. But if our missionaries come off the field and they come back to this church, what will they find? Will they find the same church? Hey, will they find the same people? Will they find the same zeal, the same enthusiasm? Or will there be something different here? It's got to be a continuing discipleship. I think that if the average pastor's teaching and preaching was in direct proportion to the church's intent to listen and do, you hear what I'm saying? He'd have a lot of spare time on his hands. Before we walk in the doors of the church, before we come to church, brethren, it should already be in our heart that we will do what God tells us to do when we come to this place. The man doesn't matter. The man doesn't matter. The messenger doesn't matter. There could be a 13-year-old boy stand up here and give you the authority of the word of God, and it's not the boy, it's the word of God. Before we ever walk into church, have we already said to the Lord, I will submit. I will, I'll do what you tell me to do. If we don't have that kind of a spirit, we're not going to be having a continuing discipleship in the church. We're not going to be continuing on with the Lord. So I think that your heart or my heart for the work of missions is directly tied to my spiritual growth and maturity. As I'm growing in Jesus Christ, as I'm continuing in Him, my heart is going to be for the heart that, his, that, that He has for the world. I'm going to be considering the things that Jesus considers. Remember what He said in the book of Psalms to David. He just says, you come on in close. And He said, I'll guide you with my eye. I'll show you the way that you ought to go, but you have to be looking where I'm looking. You've got to get close enough to me that where I gaze, you gaze. So we've got to continue in our relationship with Christ. I'm just asking you, are you a continuing disciple of Jesus Christ? Because the church needs to be that. We need to foster this culture of raising missionaries. It's not going to happen if we're not continuing going forward. Our children need to see us as parents being disciples. Not just contented church members, fat on the preaching and teaching of the word of God. No, no, no. We should be slim and slender and fit for the master's use because we are putting into practice all the spiritual calories that we're getting from the preaching of the word of God. Hey, I'm getting excited here. I'm burning some fat while I'm preaching, all right? Uh, we need to be expending our energy in the work of God. 
And our kids need to see that in us. But if we just come to church and sit and we play on our phones and we walk around and don't talk to anybody and we're not exhorting one another and encouraging one another, if there's no spiritual investment in one another, why would we expect our kids to be excited about God? They're not going to be excited. They're going to get 18, 19, and 20. They're going to walk out the door. They're never coming back. And that's on us. It's on us. So let's continue on. John chapter 3. If you will, John chapter 3. Lastly then, I would say this. If we want to foster a missionary culture, we need to have a heart for the nations. We must have a heart for the nations. You know one of the reasons I love coming here? Is there's so many nations here. I know there's a lot of the Philippines here, but there's a lot of other nations, all right? Isn't that great? We have become lovers of adobo. I mean, just, it's okay. I'm still working on the curry. I'm still, uh, I'm working on the curry. I'm okay with the butter chicken. I'm just telling you that. Yeah, practice makes perfect. I love the fact that we're so multicultural. I think it's a strength to the church, not a weakness. We got to be very careful, though, from a church setting that we don't ostracize or make people who are not of our culture feel like they're not welcomed or included in the church because they don't speak the language and have the culture. We've got to be very, very, very aware of that. That has historically been a problem here. Not because we are bad people, but because I think sometimes we just don't think about it. And people come in, they don't feel like they fit. Is that okay to say? I'm not trying to be ugly at all. I'm just saying that it's a, it's a strength, but it can be a weakness if we're not careful. But what I'm saying is that we need to have a heart for the nations. Here we are, a church that's very much representative of the nations. We need to have a heart for the nations. John chapter 3, and Jesus said this. Jesus said this, and what a wonderful passage. Verse 14, and as Moses was lifted up, had lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world. The world through him might be saved. Can I ask you, church, do you have a heart for the nations? How could we watch this short video today of Ricardo and Isabel and not immediately have a heart for the people that they're ministering to? How could, we, how could we do that? Could, how could your heart not be filled with, with love and a desire for them and for their people who are steeped in Catholicism? They're lost. They don't know. They, they don't know. One of the days that I was there with them last year, um, there was something going on. There was just a big, a big noise going on in the street. That was when they lived in Garohape, not where they're at now, but walked outside the house in the morning and just walked out onto the cobblestone street and was looking and there was, it was around the Easter time and there was a massive Easter parade procession that was going down the street of this city. Hundreds of people out there and they're carrying the, the things that they do, whatever the Catholics do, you know, and there's the statues and the Jesus on the crosses and all this stuff and, and they're, walking, they're walking out here and they're chanting and doing all this different kinds of stuff and I just remember standing there watching all these people thinking to myself, they, they have the Bible they literally have it. They know nothing about it. They don't know the truth. They don't know it. 
Now, our heart needs to be out there with those people. We need to have a heart for the nations. Hey, listen, church, we got to have a heart for the nations. Don't walk by the map. Make some time to go back and look at the map and say to the Lord, give me a heart for these countries. Help me to have a heart for the nations because God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the outflow of our theology is a world vision. Do you understand that? The outflow of what we believe from the word of God has got to be a world vision. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45, if you will. Isaiah chapter 45. Let me get to it myself. Isaiah chapter 45. And drop down to the end of the chapter, verse 22. Isaiah 45 and verse number 22. Here's what the Lord says. Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, that, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Does that remind you of anything else you've read in the New Testament? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen one day. So what is God saying? He's saying in verse number 22, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I'm God and there's none else. God was looking at the nations of the world from one end to the other and he says, look to me and be saved. We've got to have a heart for the nations the way that God has a heart for the nations. We've got to be concerned about the nations. We've got to be concerned about it. We need to be praying for the nations. We need to be praying and lifting up our eyes and looking on the fields and saying, oh God, send laborers into the fields because they're white with harvest. They're ready to be harvested. The problem is not the field. The problem is the laborers. It's the workforce. We need to have a heart for the nations. That's the outflow of what we believe. That's the outflow. And it's only when we see the heart of God that we see the world. Because that was the heart of God. Look unto me and be ye saved. You know, we can watch all the missionary presentations in the whole world. We can have displays. We can have great missionary stories. All of that can happen and will not change the heart of you and I unless we have God's heart. The outflow of what we say we believe is world missions. So we got to have a heart for the nations the way God does. So the the reality of that then is seen in in our giving and in our budget. To say that we have a heart for the nations is going to come out when we give. And it ought not to be a sticky thing or a weird thing when we talk about it. It's a wonderful privilege to give to the work of God. It's a tremendous privilege. One of the greatest blessings of the Christian life is to be able to give to the work of God. And know that the the funds that you're giving, as small as you may think they are, God is able to take that little as we know and turn it into so much more if we'll just allow the Lord to do that. There's such principles in the word of God about that. So the church ought to be firmly committed to that. There was a church in um, another part of the world some years ago that decided that if they were going to follow the, the principles of the word of God and honor the Lord, they just felt like the biggest portion of their church budget must be missions. And so far beyond buildings and properties and facilities and other things that they did, far beyond that, they started giving to missions in a significant way. And you know what was interesting? Even though they were in significant debt when they decided to do this, 
God cleared the debt and blessed the church in a massive way. Financially, listen, financially, God blessed them, and they never kept any of it. As God kept blessing, they kept giving it out to the work of God. Missionaries all around the world, not only sending their own, but supporting works and missions works all around the world. Why? Because they just decided, maybe we better get on board with God's program as a church. So the biggest part of our budget is just going to be given to missions. So what I'm saying is simply this, and then we're done tonight. Uh, we need to have a heart for the nations. Consider the nations. Uh, I told you before that, that we are surrounded by some nations just very close to our shores here. We need to consider those nations and how we can reach them with the gospel. That's our, that's our Samaria, if you will. But the uttermost parts of the earth are still out there, and we need to be aware and informed and have the same heart for those people that, uh, that God has. Can I just challenge you in this as we close tonight? Um, first of all, this, I, I don't know where you work and what you do, but you're going to be surrounded by and encountered by a lot of different cultures when you go to work and school tomorrow. Instead of allowing those people to irritate you by what they do and how they act and how they drive, I'm telling on myself now, aren't I? Maybe what we ought to do is say, Lord, give me a heart for these people because they need Jesus. Can I ask you, church, um, do you want to develop a culture here of raising and training missionaries? Do you want to hoard your children and say, I don't want my kids going anywhere? Or do you want to truly do what God has already said as far as we're concerned? That all we're doing as parents is raising and shaping our children. And as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children to you. We're just shaping our children to turn them loose for God. So why don't we develop a culture that turns our kids loose to the mission field? Because today we're remembering the, the work of missions in the church. And we need to be the kind of a church that fosters a missionary culture. So whatever it is that God is going to have you to do with this, I don't know. But I just want to challenge you in this. If the Lord is beginning to stir your heart about something in your own life, something that you need to do, that your family needs to do, a, a change, a desire. Um, I think, number one, you need to pray about that. But number two, you need to come see your pastor. What, what do we need to do as a church here? What do we need to change? Not some big grand idea of what everybody else should do, but what God wants you to do. What God wants you to do. This is what I need to do. And let's foster a culture here in the church of preparing missionaries to do the work of God. Lord, thank you for the word of God, and I, I pray that you would just help and encourage us in this today. I pray for Southland Baptist Church, Lord, and uh, as an entity, as a church, we're very grateful for the many years, the 25 and moving up to 26 years that the church has been here. But Lord, we've, we've heard it said by someone else that a church is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. And Lord, I know that you're looking down upon a, a group of believers here and your desire is that all of us would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That, that is what you want from us. And Lord, how could we say, how could we say that we are desiring that in our life if we're not focused on the thing you're focused on? So Lord, may it be a good reminder for us this evening. And I pray that we would be a church that desires, oh, strongly, strongly seeks after the teaching and preaching of the word of God, that we would be faithful to be in our place consistently and bringing our families consistently to where we submit to the authority of your word. Teach us and help us to study, Lord, so we'll know more and understand more 
Just give us a heart the way that we ought to have it. Help us to be focused on the work of God for this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I close then.